You are now tuned in from the desk of low. Brought to you by from the Dat Feeling Podcast Network. If you have a dream, go get it. Welcome back from the desk of low. Now, the guest that I have on the phone with me, I listened to some of his interviews. He actually goes by the interview Ken. You might know him from Forbes DVD. He went on to start his own platform. Doggy Diamonds, no filter. Gave away the gas right there. But without further introduction, this is my guy right here. I used to listen to his interviews like before even I started podcasting. But it's only right that I pay homage to him and ask him a few interesting questions. So, how are you doing, Doggy Diamonds? I'm good. I'm good. How's everything with you? I'm doing well, sir. <clears throat> um, so I'm curious, um, Doggy Diamonds. Uh, the first time I ever heard from you, uh, Forbes DVD. Um, you used to being uh, the interviewer, but now you're being interviewed. Um, I was curious. When did you find your passion for interviewing, sir? I used to, you know, I used to interview myself in the mirror when I was younger. Cause I used to practice interviewing because I used to say. You know, I used to look at interviews, and I used to say, "Damn, man, these people when they do interviews, they they're kind of dumb. Like they they don't know how to respond, or they be like, yeah, you, like and and, and 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 you know, they're not articulate." So I used to practice interviewing myself. So my passion for interviewing came from me being young and just actually practicing myself. So we talking about maybe like nineteen ninety. Three ninety four. I used to just sit in the mirror and ask myself questions. I know it sounds crazy as hell, but yeah, that's how I used to do. It. So that was my passion, and then the passion from uh, interviewing came when when I did like my first interview. I did an interview for a website called Trickology, and I interviewed on um, Ghostface Killer over the phone. Oh damn! And I was like, yeah, man. I think I could. Yeah, I was like, I, and then I lost the interview. So don't don't know. <laughs> I'm still. Don't, don't nobody kill me for that, but um, yeah, I lost the interview because I, I this is at the time when you did it over the phone. And this is like 1990, early 90s, well, well, late 90s, it probably was like 90, hmm, let's say 90s, 98 or something like that. But it was, a, no, 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 I'm bugging, I'm bugging out. It was later than that because he was doing the project with God. So let's say it was 2000 and... and, and Around Supreme clientele, let's say. No, no, no. It definitely wasn't that. It was it was Trife the God was around, which he changed his name to Trife Diesel. So let's say 2003, 2004 was around that time. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I was using the iPad, I mean, the, the, the iPod, because you used to be able to plug a device on the top of the iPod and record audio. Yeah. And uh, my iPod went dead on me. So that that was it. It was the iPod conked out. So I have a lost Ghostface interview in there that I can't get out. But That's yeah, pretty good that for your first interview. Thing. Yeah, it was my first interview ever with Ghostface. Yeah, my first ever interview. Uh, <clears throat> when you were, because you interviewed like a lot of people like uh, like Nicki Minaj, Meek Mill, Prodigy, like, um, do you remember, like, did you ever do, like, written interviews, or was it always audio interviews from you from the start, sir? The, the, the Ghostface, believe it or not, was supposed to be audio, and then I had to uh, transcribe the audio. So that was going to be a pain in the, you know what, so... No, it was all, all just, like, all audio and visual interviews. I never really did... Uh, 
interviews or nothing like that. No, I, n- I never really did that. And I never wrote a question down either. So. Oh, so everything's just off and the I, top of the head. Everything is off the top of the head. And I'm going to tell you why. When I first did the first Ghostface interview, I wrote down 12 questions. And he answered all, he had a like a long answer. He answered every question I had in one answer. So I had to freestyle from there. So ever since then, I said, you know what? Never write a question down, because if they give a certain answer, it's over. So, yeah, I, everything is off the top of the head. Everything is freestyle. My, every interview you ever saw of me or her has been freestyle. I've never wrote a question down. And I was gonna say too because when I when I watch your videos like the Oskino and the Petey Crack one, uh, I noticed like you never had like your phone in your hand and you never like had a red notepad. Nope, no notes. Everything is in my in my brain. Okay. Everything. Yeah. <clears throat> um. So would you say that you you're a co-founder of Forbes DVD, sir? Actual facts. Yes, co-founder. Me and Emmett co-founded uh you know Forbes DVD and um. You know, it's, it's, it's been a long journey. I think we've had this site for how many? I can say since 2000, for 12 years, OSDVD.com has been in existence oh, for wow. 12 years. Yeah, would you say <clears throat> that's when things really started to like take off for you, sir? Definitely, because we were transitioning from the DVD you know, in uh, the Forbes DVD, people think that it's actually a DVD, but the DVD stands for Digital Video On Demand. Like, we changed the title for, you know, for Forbes DVD. So, so the DVD and Forbes DVD stands for Digital Video On Demand because, you know, now everything is digital and you can watch whatever you want on demand. So that's why it's still called Forbes DVD. But, yeah, everything changed because we realized when we was doing the come-up DVD that everything was going to go digital. So, you know, you can see, like, when you put out a DVD, it might be quarterly, it might be monthly, might be weekly you put out a DVD, but then that has to circulate opposed to doing something digitally online. Everybody can get it right there that day, you know, as opposed to an actual physical DVD. So that's definitely when everything changed when we started for the DVD. So you kind of knew, like, ahead of time that everything was going to go digital within within time because you're like, yo, this DVD thing ain't going to last forever. Yeah, because you got to look at where it was going as far as the CDs. Everything was going digital with MP3s. It's only right that they're going to get rid of the DVDs. You know, it's, it's, you know, same thing. Audio and visual go together. So uh, I remember me and Rec was like, yo, we got to, you know, do more on the internet. Me and Rec was always on internet savvy. We both used to talk on AOL, Instant Messenger, you oh, know, like... I remember that. <laughs> you had, yeah, when you had dial-up and, and, and somebody would call too much and knock you off, you know, we used to talk on that. You know, I still remember his screen name, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and yeah, like, it, 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 that, you know, so we, we had foresight that it was going to go digital, so we, we hopped into that world of, you know, of Internet back then because we knew where it was going. Okay, and just for, for the people that know, you're from uh, New York, right? Brooklyn, New York. I'm from New York, but, you know, us Brooklyn Knights, we're very, very uh, territorial, and, and if you ask anybody from Brooklyn, they will be like, I'm not from New York, I'm from Brooklyn. We, you know, us Brooklyn people really believe that Brooklyn is its own 
city, state, and country. So yeah, I'm from Brooklyn, New York. <laughs> <laughs> That's facts. Brooklyn got some real ones though. Yep. Um, so you being from Brooklyn and having being around like a lot of these people who actually live in New York too, do you run into it in a lot of them <clears throat> before that you interviewed them? Oh yeah, I grew up with so many artists. Like I grew up with Biggie, I grew up with Lil' Kim, grew up with Junior Mafia, grew up with Foxy Brown, Easy Mo B, Smith and Wesson, um, Helter Skelter, Uncle Murder. I grew up with you know, I I've seen all of them prior to many of us even making it in music. Like I've known many of them prior to that. So I I bump into a lot of people and then me being doing what I do. I see I see people out and about all the time. I grew up around Wu Tang, you know. I, I lived in Staten Island for a few years. Grew up around Wu Tang, the same building, one sixty Clark Hill. You know, my grandmother's actually responsible for Method Man even living on Staten Island, him and his mother and his sister. You know, so that's the story that he'll tell. You know, so um, yeah, like I've I've been around a lot of these artists prior to to any of us even doing music. Oh wow! I never, <clears throat> never knew you had such a long history with that growing up with them. Because uh, I seen you even interviewed Helter Skelter, and uh, I always wanted to ask you about that interview because I noticed like half, like ten minutes or fifteen minutes, they changed clothes. So that obviously took a couple days to film. I'm guessing. Yeah, because we had did part one, and this is before the the uh, the DSLR cameras, so you would have to record in a mini DV or a high eight or a DVC. I think at this particular time he was doing mini DV tapes. So you would record and you would run out of tape or the studio session and then we would just go um, you know, record and, and then like, yo, we'll be back tomorrow. So I think it was two days actually. It wasn't a, a, a three, four day thing. Yeah, it was two days when we just came back and just finished recording. And um, yeah, that was, that was uh. Yeah, that was that was a, a two days interview, but it was long and you know this like one thing about my interviews, I like to do in depth interviews. Some people are you know attention span change, so yeah. Now if an interview is too long, people are just like, man, I ain't watching this whole hour. The engagement, you know, uh, is a little off now. So sometimes you put out clips, then when you put out clips in the interview, people are mad. Put out the whole interview, so it's hard to please people. You just got to do what you do, stick to your gun. But yeah, the help of Skeletons, I think that was two days. I think we came, came there one day, film, and then the studio, then they had to record, and then we just came back the next day. And that was, uh, I think that was on 30th, 30th Street, like a, a, a studio over there. If I'm not mistaken, I think that was over there. But yeah, Cheryl Price was a, a, a real good friend of mine. Yeah, all right, Peter. Rock right day. I rock forever right day. He seemed like a very down to earth individual, and like what uh, Buckshot said, he really lived life to the fullest. Yeah, he lived on the he lived on the edge. You know, um, the only you know, I, I, I in his passing it affected me because I didn't. You know, hip hop is so young. You know, um, so when you start seeing people in hip hop pass away, it's like. Damn, you know what I'm saying? It's not like he's 80 years old. It's not like he's 70. You know, so yeah, he lived life to the fullest, but he's still relatively young. You know, he's older than me, but he still was young. And, you know, just to see him pass away and, and, and you, you know, put him with hip-hop, is like, damn, you know, 
to pass away. Hip hop is young. Hip hop is only like forty something years old, and um, you know, just to see somebody a little old. I think he was older than hip hop at the time, and you know, just to see him pass away. Then he was a friend, and it's just like, damn, you know, he lived his life, but it was so much life to live still. You know, like wait, what's the well? Then again, what's what's the right age to pass away? You yeah. know, I don't think it's the right age to pass away, especially when you you know he just had a young daughter. You know, you had an older son, so I, you know, I don't think it's the right age, but nah, he he definitely he enjoyed life. You know, let's just say that he definitely enjoyed life. I just wish he was around to see more life. Yeah, because like everyone deserves to, you know, see the fruits of their labor, and like it always like bothers me when people like gravitate towards somebody when somebody dies, but like. People actually gave him his flowers while he can smell them. And that's what, like, I loved about Sean Price's story. Yes, yes. I mean, I still got his DMs. I still got his number in my phone. You know, it's it's it's, it's tough. Because, like I said, me and him had a relationship outside of industry. You know, we would actually talk on the phone and, you know, build. And Sean Price was, um, he was as funny as hell. Like, I don't even think he was trying to be funny sometimes. I think it was just, that's who he was. And it was just, you know, it just, he was just a pleasure to, to, to be around and like, you know, laugh and joke and just talk about music and, and just, you know, just life and stuff like that. So, you know, that's what I definitely miss about him. But, you know, I try not to be, even though I had a close relationship with him, I try not to be selfish with his his life because there were so many people that did love him so I'm not the only one who missed him you know like sometimes people pass away and they be like I miss him you know that was my number one he's like man everybody loved him you know what I'm saying yeah. I miss him too but he had children you know he had children and I know you know what I'm never going to be able to feel their pain and a wife you know he had a children and a wife and, and, and I'm not going to feel their pain but I think sometimes when people pass away they try to make it so personal like they took the biggest loss you know we all suffering the same with the loss of Sean Price, but we'll never feel the pain of a wife losing a husband or children losing their father. You know, I, 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 I'm not even trying to compete with that, you know, and I think people be trying to compete with, like, they lost, they took the biggest loss. You know, no, we all lost, but, you know, that woman lost her husband and that them children lost their father. Yeah, because they're with them literally every day of their lives, as as opposed to, like, people that just know him. And, like, you know, you see him when he has free time, but, like, they were with him every day. So that's very exactly. true. Yeah, we pop in and out. You know, we're not, we're not day in and day out. You know, we pop in and out, but they're uh, day in and day out. So, like, yeah, you know, that's, you know, it's, that's just how I feel. But, you know, it's, it's no right and wrong way to mourn, you know, and, and, and you know, forgiveness for a lot of people like how do you mourn you know what i mean we lost a, a somebody that was iconic to our culture and just was the overall good guy how do you mourn you know some people listen to his music all the time you know some people really really are affected by his passing you know and i and i but i just i just don't like the selfishness sometimes so i, I guess that's why i'm saying that because it could be people like you know almost you know you don't know how i feel it's like well Damn, like, you can't be feeling worse than his wife, you know what I'm saying? You can't feel worse than his children, like, calm down. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, like calm down. Yeah, and uh, that actually shows that, you know, like, people, like, you out there understand, like, you know, like, like that's a wife and children that lost their father, and, like, a lot of people don't see that point, so I'm glad you brought that up. 
yes, you know, that's, that's, we, we have to always be, you know, because we have to be, even though we're in entertainment and we do things in entertainment, we still have to remember that we're human beings and we always have to be human. Like, this entertainment shit, you know, I'm not Doggy Donald. I don't sleep with my shades on, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not <laughs> laying in the house with my shades on in a city. You know, I'm walking around in, 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 in boxes and in, in, in a T-shirt, you know, like, so we have to, you know, be human. And I think a lot of times, because of social media, because we always have this face on, a lot of people forget being human. And you got to cut that shit off sometimes. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not doggy diamonds in my house. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I'm not doggy diamonds with my grandmother. I'm not doggy diamonds with the children in my family. I'm, I'm their cousin. I'm their, you know, their uncle. I'm their grandson. And I think a lot of times, because of this entertainment thing, and everybody becomes their screen name, you know, because when you log on social media, you're your screen name. You're not who you are. You're what, what we, whatever you said your name was. That's who you are. And people forget, you got to cut that off. You know what I'm saying? It's, it comes a time where you have to be human, you have to have compassion, and you have to have love for life and people. And I don't think people know when to differentiate social media, entertainment, and real life. And I definitely do. Yeah, and you, you're definitely from the culture, too. Like, I was curious, too, the very first time that somebody ever sent you unreleased music, and you're like, damn, like, I'm getting this? Yeah, yeah. Um, Cormega sent me, you know, not the first time, but recently, Cormega, his album, Mega, he sent that to me. I heard it way before it came out, and I was sitting there like, wow, like, man, I got Cormega's album, and none of y'all have it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying it's EP rather you know so and then you gotta remember growing up around you know Biggie and, and, and seeing him and actually recording music for him I heard a lot of music that nobody's ever heard you know just, just being there Sean Price the Price of Fame album that he's coming out with, with um, produced by uh, Little Fame from MOP I actually um, I actually heard a lot of that you know I heard of that sitting at his kitchen table you know so I definitely hear a lot of unreleased music from your favorite artists way before it comes out. You know, studio sessions. I've been in a lot of studio sessions. So that's, that, that's you know, like I said, being in my position, being definitely in the culture of hip-hop, definitely has its perks. And um, I, like I said, I love it. I wouldn't trade it for nothing. Yeah, because you actually got to see when, like, things were before digital and the studio sessions, I'm guessing, when everything was on tapes back then. I love it, man. I, like, <laughs> That's a time no, that can never be no, replicated. Yeah, there's no vibe. And I'm telling everybody out here, all the listeners, there's no vibe like being in that studio and watching magic happen. I mean, you know, you, you'll see, you know, you know, now they fly vocals, you know, they the person a... Uh, you know, email the vocals to somebody. Now, nah, it's nothing like being in the studio and seeing two of your favorite artists record. And you're like, wow, they really about to do a song. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm really in the health of Skelter section. You know, like, I'm really sitting here. You know, and they really about to go record. And, oh, that's how he does his ad-libs. And, oh, okay. He doesn't punch in. Or, okay, look. Look how he recorded his vocals. Okay. Look at the part. Look how they came up with the chorus. That's the part of hip-hop that a lot of people don't get to experience because they're not there. Everything is, we see the finished finish product, we hear the finished product, or the artist is, you know, 
And it's good because they get to collaborate a little bit more so they email workers. That's a good thing. But nothing like that magic of just seeing, sitting there and watching a masterpiece come together. Because you got to remember, too, sometimes you might be in a session and you hear a song and you're like, yo, man, I'm feeling it. And then you come back and they might have changed something and you're like, wow, yo, y'all took it to the next level. I wasn't even here. So the creation of music definitely suffered with digital. You know, um, the output is great. The output is great. You can do more. You can, like I said, a person could be all the way somewhere and it's very inexpensive to just email vocals. But nothing is like that magic of being in that session and seeing this creation you know, come to life right in your face. You you there for in the infantile stages of the creation and then you just see magic just happen. Yeah, and that's also like what a lot of people don't get to see because people just get to hear the finished product. They don't get to see what goes into the song. Like, oh, that's how he does his ad libs, or this is how they do it to hook. Mm-hmm. Yep. I got, oh, or <clears throat> I didn't know that, you know, this person might have asthma or this person was drunk or this person in the room is the one who said a word and it sparked the whole record, you know, and that and that's I think that's why, you know, some songs are not that creative. Cause, cause recording of songs and the, the making of music used to be like community based. It'd be a lot of people in the studio and it wasn't all about smoking and drinking. It was about creating. And it was about making the best hip hop you can make. And everybody wanted to be a part of, yo, we're about to make the best, you know, the best whatever. You know, whether it was it, it was hip hop or whatever it was, we're about to be we're about to be the best and I don't think that that's really there anymore. I just think people just wanna make music and you know, and then say it's the best, but I don't think people are really, really competitive anymore with music. Yeah, because, like, you grew up in an era where people took lyricism more seriously as opposed to now. But bars are coming back. But um, I'm curious, um, did you get to experience the park jams growing up? Because when I, I was talking of OC, um, that's a time that can never be replicated in New York. And in New York, that's, like, a place where the park jams really, really brought the essence of hip-hop alive. I was, uh, you know, unfortunately, I was a little too young for the park jams. I missed that by a few, like, by maybe five years. But I remember, you know, local park jams, but I can't, if I sit in here and say, no, man, yeah, I was in the Bronx, I would be lying to you. I was too young for that. So, <laughs> At least you no, keep it a buck, that's I, I kinda, good. Yeah, 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 you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, did, I didn't miss some of that, but, you know, um, Growing up later on, I was able to be a part of my own park jams, you know, you know, DJing my own block parties and stuff like that. So, in that in that sense, yeah, I did uh, see some of the park jams because I was a part of, you know, creating some of the park jams. But as far as, um, you know, the vintage stuff, nah, those, a lot of those guys are older than me, so I wasn't even... When the lights came on, I had to be in the house. You know, I didn't even get a chance to leave my block. <laughs> yeah. If I sit here, yeah, if I sit here and say, "Yeah, man, I was dead," and, and you know, I was on in, in the Bronx. No, I I obviously in my, you know, I, I definitely definitely missed a lot of that. But like I said, the good thing was carrying on tradition. When I got old enough to be a DJ and do my thing, 
you know, I was a part of the park jams because we was a part of Clinton. You know, we were going out one so. Um, how was high school like for you coming up, sir? I didn't go to high school. I dropped out. I'm going to keep it all the way to 1,000. I dropped out of high school in ninth grade. Um, the thing about high school was in New York, it was pretty different. And like you say, 1990, 91, you know, that would have been like, you know, uh, I think if I had stayed in high school, I would have graduated high school in about, 94, maybe? Yeah, I would have probably graduated in 94, 95. And um, it was very violent growing up where I was at. So we would go to school and come out to school and see dudes out there with guns ready to shoot us and stuff like that. So we would have to take guns to school and all stuff like that. So I didn't go to school, all the way honest. I just didn't go to school. Hey, don't blame me if you got to go with that, those conditions too, damn. Yeah. School was very, very, was a dangerous thing. It wasn't a walk in the park. It wasn't you going there to learn. It was like, you know, gladiator school, unfortunately. You know, and, um, yeah, so I was like, man, I'm not going in. I'm not going to school. And then one time, um, my cousin got shot, and it was Abraham Lincoln's birthday, I believe. It, we wasn't even in school. We had the day off. And at that time, we were saying, you know, we're going to start going to school. We're going to get it together. And my cousin got shot on a holiday. Oh, damn, man. Yeah, so, he's, you know, he's alive. He got hit in the leg. He's alive, you know, thankfully. But I was young. I was maybe, like, 13 years old. And I was standing like, damn, he got shot. So that really just, like, you know, he was like, oh, look, man, these guys are serious. They be coming up to the school looking for us. They already came to the neighborhood on a day off and shot him. Nah, we 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 gonna do something else. So I didn't go to school. Hey, well, like I said, like a lot of people, they would say, "Nah, I went to school, but nah, a lot of people keep it a buck, so that's good, though." Nah, I didn't go. I was like, man, the hell with school. Um, I noticed during like your earlier interviews, you weren't really in front of the camera much, as opposed to now. I was curious, um. What inspired that, sir? Or did people just wanted to start to see who you are? Like, you're always starting to get people like, Yo, who's the guy behind the camera? That's what I was curious about, too. It was a combination of both. When I first started doing interviews, I wanted my um, anonymity. I didn't want to be known. I wanted to... <clears throat> excuse me. I wanted to be just the guy who did his job, the guy who did a good interview. And... What happened was people started, when I was out and about and people recognized that I was the person doing the interview, people started calling me Forbes. They would say, yo, Forbes, what up? And I'd be like, yo, that's not my name. My name is Doggy Diamond. So what happened was I started losing my identity. MREC was able to be MREC because he's an artist and you don't know him out there from doing his music. But I was Forbes. And I'm like, oh, that's not my name. So once people start calling you the brand, you lose your personal identity. Like, Smack's name is not Smack. Smack is the DVD. His name is Troy. But now his name is Smack, and he has to be Smack. So if the Smack brand ever goes away, so does he. So, you know, it's never going to happen. But if Forbes DVD had to, you know, had to ever crashed or ever went away, I'm Forbes. I'm not, I can't say, yo, what's up, this is Doggy Diamond. People are like, who the hell is that? No, you're not. You're Forbes. So it was almost like I had to rebrand. So I said, you know what? I seen people coming in the game after me. 
they're getting these opportunities because they're more visual, they're more visible, and people know who they are, and they got popularity because they're visible, but not popularity, they're getting an opportunity because they're visible. And I'm like, I'm not getting some of the opportunities because I think people don't put the face with the name. You know, so some, so now we're in the visual. When you're going Snapchat, that's pictures. When you go on Instagram, that's pictures. When you go on Facebook, that's pictures. I'm like, you know what, I got to get on the camera. Okay. So that's what made me get on the camera. And, um, yeah, that's, that's what I decided, you know, now I got to get on the camera. Yeah, because I consider you, uh, um, sorry if you take offense to this, but I consider you one of the OGs when it comes to this type of thing, sir. Uh, why would I be offended? You, you, you're speaking facts right now. I'm definitely <laughs> the OG. I'm definitely one of the founders. Besides, you know, um, Ralph McDaniels, but in this, this this visual DVD era, yes, I'm definitely one of the, the OGs, you know. And OG, you know, because OG, the term OG has got changed from being original gangster, there's people just calling you old. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And, um, nah, I'm definitely one of the original gangsters of this whole DVD podcast thing. Yes, I'm definitely one of the founders, if not the founders, for many of, you know, the way things are being done. Because when I was doing interviews, I'm telling you, people used to look at me like, man, what the hell are you doing? You a clown. You know what I'm saying? Not, not in that sense, but it was more like, well, why are you doing interviews? You know what I'm saying? Yo, you're a music producer. Why don't you just stick to doing music? What is this interview thing all about? I have um, videos from Price saying, yo, y'all know he do beats, right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know, well, when you going to stop doing this beat thing, you get back to, I mean, when you going to stop doing this interview thing, you get back to the beat. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, that's what a lot of people like. A lot of times you'll see Sean Price ask me, even Alchemist hit me up one time. Like, yo, can I get some beat? You know what I'm saying? So, it, you know, that's definitely what people knew me for for a long time. So it was tough to get people to recognize and realize, no, I'm really doing media. You know, for now, you know, I'm really put that as a staple in media. Yeah, that's facts right there, too. Would you say um, you still have a lot of those old DVDs that you always hold near and dear to your heart, like the Forbes DVDs? Oh, yeah, everything. I have everything because I, I, I filmed and edited most of them. So, yeah, I have everything. The, uh, I have everything. I still have, like, a, a lot of unreleased footage that people never saw before. You know, um, I got old Nicki Minaj interviews that people never saw before. I got a lot of stuff that they've never seen before. Because you grew up in New York, too, and that was the place to get the smack DVDs, man. I remember I looked so... Because I'm in Canada, so you can only imagine how hard it is just to find those. Um, did you have a few smack DVDs? I had a few, but remember, we were the competitors. I was going that's to That's what I was going to say, too. He would look at the smack to see who he had on the DVD where he was working, but now we was the coming DVD. Yeah. You know, um... We was the come-up DVD, so we was like, yeah, that Smack is cool, but we better, you know. And um, shout-out to Smack. Shout-out to uh, Cocaine City, which is French Montana, which he doesn't really like to say to people that he was the person doing the DVD, you know, because he rebranded himself as an artist, which is cool. But he definitely was the person on the camera doing the DVD. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. We remember French. Don't worry. We remember Yep, Frenchy. Definitely was Frenchy. Um, when, when you were um, pressing up DVDs, too, because, like you said, everything's digital now, too. Um, 
Did you ever have to pay like a ridiculous amount for like pressing up CDs and covers, or was like everything basically just like you doing it? No, no, no. We paid we, because we was. Yeah, I remember we was doing thousands of DVDs. Yeah, so. yeah. I was just gonna say like that's a, like a lot of DVDs to do by yourself. Yeah, it's a lot of DVDs, and then what happens in New York is you had bootleggers, so you had to press up your DVD and try to get it everywhere before the bootlegs bootleg. So you might press up a DVD, drop it off in Brooklyn, and that and it'll beat you to Queens. Like the bootleggers already duplicated your DVD and put it in Queens. So by the time you're going out to Queens and say, here, I got a new DVD, like, oh, we got it already. Like, how you got it and you didn't get it from me? I'm the only one who has my DVD, but the bootleggers would beat you to another borough. This is crazy, but yeah. So you, you know, you lost money, you gained money, but most of the time, you built a brand, and I was, and, I, and even re, even recently, I was saying, yo, I always want to do one DVD just for the nostalgia of it, to put something out on the street, and I wanted to get bootleg, believe it or not, because it's promo. I actually wanted to get bootleg. Hey, if it's good, anything's good, publicity, they say. Yep, yep, that's how I feel right now. Yep, I wanted to get bootleg. I wanted to to, to circulate. Yep, that's how I am right now. Do you ever see, like, some of your old DVDs go on eBay for a ridiculous amount? It's like, yo, that's my DVD. No, you know what? I never looked. Why are you going you to make me look now? Yeah, I'm going to end up looking. Yeah, I'm going to end up looking. I've had, um, I looked on eBay and seen um records that I did when I was with my um, my group when we did songs on eBay. And I'm like, hey, man, they make more money off my stuff than I did. I didn't even <laughs> make that amount of money. Yeah, but, you know, it's it's cool, man, like. It's cool. Like, the one thing about this whole thing that we do with media and various things, the fact that we're even acknowledged and people even, you know, uh, know who we are, I'm okay with that. You know what I mean? Like, I'm I'm okay with that. So, it's cool. Yeah, because, like, cause that's the more rewarding part than, than more money can ever pay you. Yeah, but the money is good, too, though. So, <laughs> let's not get it twisted. Yeah. Some people be like, you know, I'd rather have them. I'd rather be respected and I'd rather be known and I love it if I know the money is the most rewarding thing because you always have to remember everything you do, somebody makes money off you. Yeah. So you better try to make money off yourself. Um, I was curious too, um, when you were coming up too, like did you, like for somebody who didn't grow, I mean, uh, grow up in New York and you wanted to interview them, did they, like you don't got to say the name, but did somebody try to charge you like a ridiculous amount? I was like, man, I ain't paying that. I never got charged for it, so I wouldn't even. We could go to the next question. Nah, nobody ever charged me. Never. <laughs> I wouldn't even. I wouldn't even pay. You know what I mean? I wouldn't even pay if somebody was charging me. I wouldn't even pay, like, because first of all, when when whenever you pay for something, <laughs> it has to be an ROI, which is a return on investment. So if I'm paying you for something, if I pay you forty dollars for something, that means that I'm going to be making one twenty or one sixty. If I'm making my forty dollars back, what's the purpose of doing? Yeah, you know. So no, I would never pay. But I would never pay for it ever. Yeah, because there's some ever. there's some people out there that be charging like ridiculous amounts. Like man, like you're crazy out here. <laughs> like it's good, but it's it's not even that. It just like. A lot of people don't see the value in an interview because a three-minute song, yeah, that's cool. You can still get to know the artist, but if you really, really fuck with that artist, you go listen to his old interviews. Like, that's how, like, I found you, like, through Pete Crack or Skino, because, like, I love State Property. Yeah, 
Wow, and that yeah, and that's crazy because um, I did those when I first started my podcast. It was like some of my first early interviews. Yeah, so um, you know that that's what I'm saying. That's a good thing, and, and the interview works for everybody. And I felt like from that interview when I did with PD Crack, I felt like you knew who PD Crack was because he was saying things that you didn't know in that interview. You know, like you learned who he was from that interview. You didn't know how he started and. Osino was the one who brought him around, and you didn't know those stories, and that's what I like about my interviews. I like the, the backstory. I like the beginning. Hold on for one second. Let me blend something. I just had to blend my smoothie really quick. That's uh, good. Healthy living. Like, like to see tea. that. <laughs> yeah, I'm drinking my sea moss and my my flaxseed, and you know I got a lot of different things that I drink on the on, on a daily basis. So this is definitely one of my power drinks. Got some peanuts in there, some cinnamon. Uh, I like how you said that about like Petey Crack, like Oskino brought him around. Like I'm gonna keep it all the way in mill on that. You know, I can't tell you how much times like I rewatched that interview just because like there was little things that I missed. I was like, yo, like go back rewatch it though. But I just want to let you know, like that was a fucking good interview, sir. I'm happy about that. I'm not mad that you um keep going back and forth. Get them views up. Keep them views up. And we did that right, and um and, and um this apartment I was staying in. Right in the apartment. <laughs> did, um, I was curious, when you were doing the backdrop too, like, did you, where was the most, like, we, like, the place that you recorded is like, damn, I can't believe we just did an interview in that spot. Um, man, I used to do interviews in pissy staircases. <laughs> I would do interviews in a project hole. I did an interview with Mr. Marcus with Porn Star, like in the lobby of the project. I never put it out, but yeah, I would do interviews anyway. Anyway. Gilly the Kid, I did an interview outside the projects. You know, um, he probably, that's like he don't remember that, but yeah, outside of the project. Yep. Because you were on to a lot of people early, and then you see them to go on to have major success. I was curious on how that feels, knowing that you were on to before, like, everyone else was. I mean, I just have a lot of foresight with this game, and I believe that a lot of people deserve a chance. So when I see people doing their thing, I'm like, yo, this dude might blow up. I like to be on it. You know, I like to be on it, and it feel good, like, to see where Nipsey was and when I first met him. And then seeing where he was after a while, I'm like, dang, he's really, like, you know, a, a cultural icon right now. But I remember the dude in, in the Sony offices just, you know, humble, which he always remained that way. But just I just remember, you know, meeting him that first day and then the whole world knowing who he is. Unfortunately, everybody knew who he was when he passed. But prior to that, he had, you know, he had decent popularity, but just seeing who he became when he passed away was kind of bittersweet, but it is what it is. Yeah, because, like, it's like what you said earlier, there's no set time on when we're supposed to leave this earth. Mm-hmm. You don't know. I mean, if we did know, we probably would live life different. We probably would, you know, do things a little different, but that's one thing we don't know. And it's over. You know, we never know when it's over. So you got to enjoy life. You got to live life. You got to smile. Because, you know, unfortunately, when it's over, 
you know, you, you, you leave a legacy behind. That's one of the great if you did, you know, if you did well, you can leave a legacy, but it's nothing like, you know, leaving your loved ones. You know, that's that's hard as hell, man. You know, that's that's hard as hell. Yeah. That's that's a totally different story, leaving your loved ones. Yep. Yeah, exactly. You know, like I said, we you know, as as artists and fan I mean as fans of artists I seen in a, mind you, I, I don't know how old this interview was with you in Tragedy. Uh, you told him that he made your iPod and not a lot of people make your, made your iPod. I was curious, do you still hold that standard? Yes, I don't listen to everybody's music. Yep. I don't listen to everybody's music. I, I have a gym playlist and I don't listen to a lot of music because it doesn't inspire me. I listen to music for different reasons. Some music is just straight up ignorant. And it brings out an ignorant side to you, and that's cool. But I really listen to music that 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 that's uplifting, and I don't even mean uplifting in the sense of I believe I'm gonna fly type music, but just something where I just feel good sometimes. Like I want to get up. It's almost like getting up in the morning and throwing on Jay Z. You can't knock the hustle because you're about to go hit the block or you're about to go to work, and you know it's just something to start your day. So when I'm in the gym, I want to listen to something. I want to hear some MOP. I want to hear something that's going to raise my spirit, not something that's going to have me in there like, you know, I'm down and, and or I'm, I'm, you know, bouncing around and stuff like that. No, I want to listen to something that's going to have me like, yeah, let's start this day. Let's get, you know, let's get this gym workout in. Let's, let's push these weights. Let's go an extra 10 minutes on this treadmill. So, yeah, I, I definitely, that standard is never going to, that's never going to leave. That's good to hear I'm you. i Everybody does not make Doggy Diamond's iPods, even though we don't listen to iPods anymore. Yeah, because of the phone. Yeah, yeah, but everybody doesn't make my phone. Everybody, if you own my phone, be proud, because everybody doesn't make my phone. Barely anybody makes my phone. Hold on, one more blending moment. Hold on. Oh, yeah, don't worry, my dear. Yeah, I had a date in there, and it didn't want to blend. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, do, I started putting dates inside of my own, my drink, too, for the, for the sugar, for the sweet. Okay. Plus dates are good Yeah. Do you have a particular favorite interview that, like, you always that be like, that's my favorite interview, or it's kind of hard to pick a favorite interview because without everything you accomplish? Mm-hmm. My favorite interview will always be the Max B interview. Uh, free to wave. Yeah, it was always going to be the Max B interview because that was like my breakout interview, and that was his breakout interview. That's the interview that people always going to go back. There was so many quotables, so many moments in that interview. He was so animated, so it's always going to be the Max B interview. Somebody just sent that interview to me yesterday. It was like, yo, this is the greatest interview of all time. So I'm like, I tend to agree with you. Yeah, I'm not mad. You say that. I agree. That's uh, good to see that you acknowledge it too. Because, like, do you ever go back and re-listen to your old interviews, and then you kind of forget, like, that you asking the questions until you hear the voice? Like, damn, that's me. Nope, 
questions. I remember every moment of every interview. Um, some things I forgot that I've done. So in that aspect, yes, yeah, sometimes I'll be like, oh, shit, I forgot to interview. <laughs> but um, I definitely remember when it, when it, if I see it, I remember where we was at, what we did, because if, if anybody who knows me know that I got a very crazy memory. I just remember everything. That's why I don't write questions down, because I just remember. Okay. And... Uh, my favorite, well, I don't know how much time people hit you up about this, about you, but my very favorite interview is, the Pete Cracks, the second one, but my very, very favorite one is the Prodigy one. Mm-hmm. No, I love that interview, too, um, because it was, again, it was in-depth. He really, you know, I felt like after the, uh, the interview, you felt like you knew more about Prodigy. If you didn't know him in that interview, you felt like, okay, I got a little better understanding. You know, he talks about Nas in the interview. He talks about some of his beefs. He talks about, you know, different things in that interview. That You know, I, I love that interview, too. Yeah, and I never knew there was, like, so much about Prodigy, like, with the history of him and Jay in that interview. Like, dude, that like, like that interview mm-hmm. was so in-depth. Like, that's why I always go back and just listen. And then, plus, like, that's what made me, like, realize that we have to give people their flowers well they can smell them, too, man. Because, like, when P died, man, like, I seen the outpour from the community and, like, even actors were shouting this guy out. But it's like, how come, like... Y'all didn't show him this kind of love while he was here, and it kind of, like, made me realize, like, we really have to cherish the ones that are here and put the work in. Yeah, like I said, I really believe that it's because hip-hop is so young. And, you know, you don't think that a relatively relatively young individual, 43, 42 years old, is going to die. Like, we don't, you know, hip-hop is very, very bravado, very, um macho, you know, and if a guy doesn't die in a sense of killing, like, who's dying of health reasons in hip-hop? Like, that's very rare. Everybody who's passed away in hip-hop besides EVE and a few others has been killed. So when somebody dies health-related, we don't expect that. Yeah, because, like, it's so, it's like what you said, too, like, people don't realize how young hip-hop is. People think around, hip-hop's been around forever. It's like, you know, like, it started in the Bronx, if they know the history. Yep. And then, it's, 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 uh, like I said, I don't even know how old hip-hop is, like, I'm not
that happens, but that's rare. So when you know, with hip hop, we took a lot of hits in the past few years of people just passing away, but it was all health. Yeah. You know, Sean Price was health. The strategy is health. Yeah, that's facts right there. That's all facts too. Heavy D, health. You know. And they don't realize that, like, because, like, people are so quick to throw the conspiracy. It's like, dude, like, do you not know the history of their health? But mind you, some of them don't put it all the way out there. But with prodigies, though, like, you know, sickle cell. Yeah, no, the conspiracies are annoying. Yeah. They got annoying. They became, they became something to talk about. Again, I blame social media. It just became a talking point where people would just talk, you know, and, um, something to talk about and that's what, what it all became do you ever get to experience the tunnel I've been in the tunnel I, I wasn't a tunnel fan at that time in my life I was always in the studio always so I didn't really go out much I think I've been to the tunnel one time and it was so crowded and crazy I just didn't even go in <laughs> yeah, nah, I, if I can say, yo, man, we was in the tunnel. A lot of my homeboys was always in the tunnel, though. Okay. I just, you know, at that time, I was so heavy into creating music, I didn't even go. I didn't even go. I went up there one time, and it was just, I was like, man, I ain't dealing with this madness. You know what I'm saying? I'm <laughs> There's too much people in there. <laughs> yeah, I'm not standing on this long line. I'm, I'm just not dealing with this. But, um, yeah, I've been to all the other spots, but the tunnel was just... It was just too chaotic to try to get in. You know what I'm saying? I was like, man, I'm not dealing with it. I'm not dealing with it. A concert that you got invited to as a media personality? Um, I was at, you know what, I can't remember the name of this concert, but it was at the Barclays Center. Oh, damn. Uh, Little Kim before. Oh, it was the, the source. It was the source of, one of the source of it. So Little Kim was there at the Barclays Center. Bone Thugs performed, Wu Tang performed, Dipset performed. Yeah, I was invited to that. That was maybe like four years ago. Yeah, four years ago. Yep, Little Kim. And I filmed some of it. You know, I filmed some of the film Little Kim performing. Matter of fact, yeah, it was it was around when when so maybe it was longer than four years ago because I don't know how long Bobby Schmurder has been locked up. Yeah, but it was around the time that he did um when he had the song the the, the um the hot song out. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah, that was a while ago too, but damn, the Barclay Center, damn, that's huge. Yeah, the Barclay Center. That's Brooklyn though, so you know I'm Brooklyn, so I felt, you know, I felt it was only right that I'm in the Barclay Center because, you know, that's that's my hometown, and I grew up not too far from the Barclay Center, walking distance. Um, favorite J album, since you're from Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Um... I think I would I would say between the black album and the blueprint, but sometimes I lean towards the black album. It's 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 a, it's a flip a coin the day I feel, but I, I I think I would lean more towards the black album. It's it's if you ask me tomorrow, I might say the blueprint. If you ask me a day after that, I might say the black album, but. I would lean more towards the Black Album. I really like that album. Yeah, because it's really hard to pick between like his vast discography. It's like, damn, man, it's kind of hard to pick which one's your yeah, favorite. Exactly. Yeah, because even because I even like um, 
American Gangster. I love that album too. I love the American Gangster. That's album. it. And that's of course, it. Reasonable Doubt. Everybody says Reasonable Doubt, of course, and then I love the 444 album. So, you know, it's it, it's tough. And then I love um the Hard Not Life album. You know, the the volume one. It's, it's it's tough, but for me personally, I think I played the Black album more out of all of those albums. I but think. Then I love again. I love Blueprint one. I think albums like American Gangster age like wonderfully too, and I think like thirty years from now, when people listen to that American Gangster album, they're gonna like compare Jay to Frank Sinatra. I was curious if you agree with that. I don't know about all that. Frank Sinatra is uh, 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 icon. I didn't listen to Frank Sinatra. Don't give a damn about him, <laughs> but I understand why people love him. But um. I guess in his own right, he would be his own Frank Sinatra type. So I get, I understand the comparison. Yeah, I get it. I get what you're saying. I, I get what you're saying for the for the, um, the 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 icon status and what he did for the culture. So yeah, you know what? With, with the way you're saying, he's actually compared himself to Frank Sinatra a lot of times. So, yeah, <laughs> he might, he might, be right. he might be right. He might be right. It's just like musically too, because like I, I I'll get, I'll keep it a buck. I listen to Frank Sinatra too, so when I listen to like Frank Sinatra, I go listen to like American Gangster, and I listen to Party Life. I was like, okay, Hove, I see what you're doing. You know, that's one of my favorite songs, Party Life. I love that record. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so I knew you were a real one. <laughs> yeah, we're so different. I love. Yeah, that's one of my favorite Jay Z songs. I thought I was like one of the only people like that, and I love um, you know um. I love uh, uh, Party Life and I love um, Mama I Made It. I love Mama. I made it. Oh my God, that's classic, right there. We like a lot of songs that a lot of people you don't think are like out there. Yeah, yeah, because I'm, 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 I've always been a B side person. I've always, I love singles, but it's always that song on the album that is like the sleeper that I just absolutely love and be my favorite song. You know. You can appreciate production too because you do it as well, so you know what goes into like making a beat. Oh yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. I know the drums. I know the samples. I know, you know, the breakdowns. I know the hi hats. I know. I know. So that's what makes me love music even way more than people could imagine because I know the 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 creation of it and I know the equipment and I know what they're using and I know that's what makes me love it even more. When <clears throat> when did you first get your first placement, sir? I was curious. For producing. Um Um it was Health and Skelter, the unreleased song from Health and Skelter called Teenage Love. It's out there though. Um it's a song called Teenage Love by Health and Skelter that I did in ninety six, nineteen ninety six. Oh wow. That's like nocturnal time too. That's what I'm like, wow. Yes, uh huh. Yeah, I didn't make it didn't make the album because they couldn't clear the they did we did Slick Rick's song Teenage Love. They couldn't clear it, so um, they uh, they didn't use it, but they white labeled. Was the white label was like a form of back then bootlegging itself. Like you put out like a test pressing, and you would put a song in. So that's yeah, that was definitely that time. 
I ain't gonna front. Um, <clears throat> when I was first discovering hip hop, um, as I got older, I, I grew more appreciation to earlier work, and I remember going on Dad Piff and trying to download old DJ Clue cassettes too, and I got a few of them, but I was like, man, like some of those songs on those Clue tapes, the world would never even hear. It's just like, yo, I really wish they would put like like Nature was on that heavy. Like there was, there was so much classic verses that people would never like Mace, my mixtape Mace on DJ Clue tapes. People don't know about that. Yeah, I tried to get Nature to to record um, one of his old shootouts freestyles, but the video, he didn't want to do it, but I definitely tried to do a video for that. I love that damn person. Dearly departed. For years in Hidatio, I love that. Did, um... And then as the mixtape era grew too, you had people like, you know, G-Unit, Dipset come up too. I was curious on your intake on that. Mixtapes were... Bigger than albums at one point. That's why the music industry, they originally hated mixtapes. And then they started embracing them because mixtapes were albums where you didn't have to put as much marketing and promotion into it as you would an album because it would go on street and then it would circulate. So mixtapes, man, I'm talking about DJ White Owl, Big Mike, K-Slay mixtapes, Clue, Envy, uh, yeah, now nah, mixtapes were just, you know, Superstar J, like, mixtapes were just big in New York City, because that's when you heard songs that you never was going to hear, unreleased songs, premiering of songs, new artists, freestyles, you know, everything was in it, so yeah, I definitely loved that, um, that era of mixtapes was important, and, and that, that's the only thing about the digital that I do miss, I do miss mixtapes, because now the music is so all over the place. Mixtapes used to be a compilation of songs that this DJ thought was hot. Especially when you go back to the Ron G mixtapes and the Oh yeah. mixtapes. You know, Kid Capri, Ron G, Dua, you know, um, uh, uh, Craig G, S and S, you know, Brucey well, Brucey B was a little before my time, but um, <laughs> Craig G, S and S, you know, mixtapes was, was was huge. Did um you got a good vinyl collection too, or you don't really collect that much vinyl? Because I understand people like physical products, and if you really do love this culture, you're gonna have something physical too. Like I have a gain of no, CD. Well, I had, remember, I was a DJ and a producer, so I had I got like ten thousand records somewhere. I don't even know where they're at right now, but I got them. There's there's somewhere. <laughs> you still got them. That's good. You still got them. Because I moved, yeah. Because I moved a few times. So when I moved, I left them in an old apartment, but I know the person. I live with them throw them away. They probably stored them somewhere for me. So I probably just have to call them and ask them. Yeah, but I had like 10, 10 12,000 records. Mm -hmm. I definitely had a vinyl collection. What about turntables? Oh, yeah, I was going to ask you about your turntables, too. When um when you're doing an interview, did anybody just, like, see your turntables? Like, you make beats, too? Yeah, yeah, I, that's what I started out. I started as a producer. I still have all the vintage equipment. I still have the SP-1200. I still have the S950. And in the recent times, I put the machine, I got the NPC Renaissance, um, I got keyboards. I, yeah, I'm still, but I haven't been actively making music in a while. Music to me is like riding a bike, honestly. I can get on a machine, any beat making machine right now, and make a beat right in somebody's face. That's just simple as hell to me. You know, honestly, it's that simple, that easy for me to make music. So, um, yeah, I still, I still maybe, but no, nobody's ever really seen me. 
the, 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 the world doesn't know me as a producer. They just don't know that. And it's a good and bad thing because when I finally say, you know what, I'm going to work on some music and stuff, I think people are going to be shocked. But, you know, that's that's another dimension to me. But I've been having an itch lately. I'm not going to lie to you. I've been having an itch. Like, damn, man, I kind of miss making music. Yeah, because, like, a producer never really loses its touch. It just, like, sometimes you just hear, like, certain production. It's like, oh, I want to do this again. Yeah, and and uh, definitely uh, the Griselda era of music right now, the West Side Gun, the Conway, the, the Benny, the 38 Special, you know, that's definitely giving me that vibe of, yeah, you know, I want to do some music, man. I miss this type of music. Um, I was curious if you heard of the beloved Fleet Lord. Never. I have no clue who that is. Um, he works with Gazelda. Uh, he collabs a lot with Gazelda. He's got a lot of features from Gazelda. Uh, you, you should definitely check out Fleet. If you like Edo, Benny, or oh, you're going to love Fleet Lord. Oh, yeah. Shout out to Edo. We're about to actually do an interview soon with Edo. We're going to get some time. We're going to do an interview. I got one with Benny. Did you see the interview I did with Benny? You best, best believe I did, sir. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did the Benny interview. I have a 30 special that's done, but he didn't like the interview because he felt like he just got off the plane. He didn't have the energy that he needed, so he wanted to redo the interview. So that's going to come out. But I have a Benny interview. I mean, I have a 30 special done. Um, Shout out to Splash. I did yeah, I did a Riggs interview. So I, I definitely love the upstate movement. I definitely think that they're bringing the sound of hip hop back to where, you know, it's where it's really just hard beats and hung around. It's not really party jingles and, you know, just dumb music. Okay. Yeah, be, yeah, because it's like when you listen to it, it brings back the essence of lyrics. It's like. Yo, there's, like, like, Tana Talk 3, like, like, there's so much thought process and lingo that went into that project that, there's a, like, you, you, it flies over a lot of people's heads, and, like, that's what, like, I have to tell, like, a lot of people my age, they're like, there's no hard-headed beats. Motherfucker, did you listen to the album? Listen to the lyrics. Yeah, no, I love, no, I love, um, I love Stab Shot. That's my favorite project out of all those projects that was released. Stabbed and Shot, 38 Special, and Benny the Book. That's my favorite project. Stabbed and Shot. I love Stabbed and Shot. That driver's seat goes off. Oh my god, I love that song. Yeah, yeah. Oh, mine's is uh, the intro. Yeah. I love the intro. Yeah, that's the intro. Dri- that's my gym playlist. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, that's the one of Jada Kiss and uh, Styles P on, the, on it, right? No, no, no. It's called the intro. It's from uh, Little Eagle, actually, did the beat. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's called the intro. When you're um, uh, when you're like um listening to music too, knowing that you have interviews with them too, like I was wondering, like, do you ever like hear the lyrics a little bit differently sometimes? Um, it depends on the artist. It depends on the artist. I think you know me getting to know because. Because sometimes, like, when I do interviews with artists, we actually get the vibe and we talk about stuff outside. You know, if it was a fly on the wall, you know, you'd be surprised at some of the things we talk about after the interview or before the interview. So, nah, it, it, um, I don't look at it different because I pretty much know who I'm dealing with. And I think the only time I looked at them different is when I interviewed Fetty Wap because I didn't believe in Fetty Wap. I didn't think that he was, you know, I thought it was 
exactly what he was doing. I was like, man, <laughs> you know, I was like, man, this is corny. You know what I'm saying? And then like two weeks later, he was number one on Billboard. So I was like, oh wow. You know what I'm saying? So, you're, what you're, do I know? You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> you're too real. What, what do I know? You're definitely too real. I like how you said, like, I didn't believe in him. You're definitely too real. Yeah, I didn't believe in him. Like, I was like, man, this is horrible. Like, trap queen, he's sitting there. I'm like, oh, boy, this is horrible. Like, you know, so you know what what that shit's everywhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yup, two weeks later, you number one on Billboard. We always talk about that, like, you know, nowadays we don't know. We can't determine and judge music the way we did with the older, you know, the older style of the way the music industry was. Like, it's a new it's a new wave. It's, it's definitely, you know, it's, it's, it's all new. You well, know what I'm saying? It's all new. Well, the reason I asked that question is because... Um... He, Max B, because he's locked up right now, and he's not seeing like what he influenced. Like I'm pretty sure he hears about it and kind of sees what's going on when people come to visit him. But he's not really like seeing what French is doing. Like, cause like, like people like Wiz Khalifa credit Max B like as being their influences too. So I'm curious, like, like when you hear like certain Max B songs, like does it like hit you differently? Not knowing that he's not here to see like what he influenced in this world. I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, he, he left a great uh, body of work, but Max B was a worker, so, you know, you could just listen to a lot of Max B. But, you know, when you do listen to the Wiz Khalifa's and even um, somebody from Griselda, um, not, I don't even think he's Griselda. He might be Black Soprano family. El Camino. El Camino sounds a lot like Max B. Yeah. You know, so, um, yeah, so... um. You, you know who El Camino is, right? Oh, yeah, most definitely. But that's black yeah, yeah, black. He sounds, yeah, he sounds a lot like Max B. He sounds a lot like Max B. So, yeah, the influence is definitely, you know, there. So, you know, which is a good thing because I think Max B was a special artist. <clears throat> and I knew it then. I don't think the world knew it. I think via controversy, death, uh, jail, shootings and stuff, I think people magnify people and, 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 and you know, make them greater. But, um, yeah. Um, I, I knew it then. I knew that he was special. I remember when I first heard him, I was like, yo, who is that? I liked him. Yeah. Well, and he was like, Max B. I was like, wow, what a, what a name, Max B. What the hell type of name is that? That's what I first said. I'm like, no, what type of name is Max B? <laughs> yeah. so that was a Max. You know, and um, he went on to be, you know, he's an icon right now. He's in jail, you know, which is crazy. And, like, look what French went on to do, too. Like, hanging out with the Kardashians, too. Like, I still, like, I still find that crazy. It's like, dude, you were doing DVDs in New York with the big uh, Doughboy chain out. Now you're with the Kardashians. Just like, you just never know in this life. I think he knew, though. I think French knew some of the things that he was willing to do with the position he was willing to put himself in to get where he was going to get. So I do commend him for, you know, getting there. You know, some of the ways that he might have gotten there. I don't know if I would do that way, but to each his own. Because yeah, I'm not hanging around certain people under no circumstances. That's just me. Yeah, yeah, because, like, you have to be aware of people, too, and that's a lot of things that people don't realize, too. Like, yeah, you really have to, like, know who's around you because, like, you just never know who be hating on you. You just really have to... You, it's a, um, One of the members from uh, Black Soprano family said this in the song, Rick Hyde, uh, you don't know who's for you until you really transition in life. That's really true. Yeah, there's especially... 
you know, coming up doing media, you know, you do interviews with people and you think you have a good rapport and then you go look on Instagram or something or uh, uh, Twitter and they blocked you. And it's like, what the hell did you block me for? I just sat there and edited your interview and sat with you for two hours and you didn't follow me like I'm confused. You know, so, yeah, it's, you just never know. That's why you just, you know, don't attach yourself to certain things and just do your job. Well, uh, Mr. Diamond, I'm, I'm really glad that you took the day out of your busy day to do this interview. Um, this is a question that I ask all my guests, and mm-hmm. you, from even from the start of this interview, I wanted to ask you this question. But I was like, no, you gotta wait, low, you gotta wait till the end. Um, because, <laughs> uh, um, this is a question that nobody can ever answer the same because we're all unique individuals and we all have our own way of dealing this. And, uh, I actually started this podcast when I was in a dark place. I'm out of that dark place now, but um, the maybe somebody, yeah, oh yes, thank you. Um, but maybe somebody who really ad- admires you and idolizes you will hear this message and take it to heart. Um, with that being said, do you have any words for somebody in a dark place trying to see the light? I've been in a dark place um, for years. I was in a dark place, not knowing where I was going, not knowing where life was taking me, knowing where I wanted to go, but feeling stifled, feeling uninspired, and just feeling down about life. And it was times where I just thought about jumping out the window and killing myself. But the only reason why I didn't do it, which is, you know, not funny, but I said, if I jump out the window and don't die, I'm going to be in a lot of pain. The one thing I don't want to do is be with pain. So that's the only thing that stopped me from doing it. But being in a dark place, we all go through dark times. I mean, the sun don't shine forever. But even above the clouds, the sun is shining. It's just a little cloudy. So, you know, you're going to have tough days. You're going to have days where you're just uninspired. You're going to have days where you're unhappy, but that's life, and you just got to get through it. You got to think about what makes you happy. You got to think about what makes you smile. Change the environment, change the scenery, change of your circle, change of people sometimes is definitely going to get you through. And just remember, you know, tough times don't last. Tough people do, you know, and, and, and take this from me, somebody who was on the edge, you know, literally, you know, and I don't smoke, so I didn't, you know, run to, you know, smoking. I don't drink, so I didn't run to drinking. I really didn't have no coping mechanisms for getting out of that dark place, but just building and strengthening my mind and reinventing myself and reinvesting in myself mentally. Like, you know, you are great. You know, you are, you know, you are who you, you believe you are. You are that. And, you know, just go from there and just, and just build, you know, every day, take one day at a time. Stop looking too far ahead. Take every day like, you know what? Today I'll be better than what I was yesterday. Tomorrow I'll be better than what I was last week. And take everything day by day and slowly but surely you'll climb out of that darkness and and see the light. And then you're going to have days where you're going to feel down again. But don't fall into a rut because you remember you got out of it before. And you're definitely going to do it again. So with that, you know, anybody who's going through it right now, you know, via loss of, of loved ones, via loss of uh, relationships, via loss of jobs, via loss of, you know, loss definitely pushes us to a place where we're sad. You know, you lose anything. You might lose your damn, your phone and be sad. But 
you know, remember, you can't lose something and lose yourself. One thing you should never lose is yourself. You know, you're gonna, we're going to lose loved ones. We're going to lose relationships, whether it's uh, platonic or whether it's romantic. That happens. You know, that's a part of life. But just always take everything as a learning experience and try to learn and try to be better from everything that happens to you. And you're going to be okay. And if not, I'm going to kick your ass and find you and say, wake up and get up out of this bed and get up out of this slumber before I choke you. So you rather get choked by me or you rather lay in the bed. You, you figure it out. I think you rather, I, I think you rather get up than me choke you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a very good answer, Mister Diamonds, right there. And I really hope somebody out there who listens to you for not like religiously, like I see on your YouTube, takes that into consideration because you you're definitely one of the OGs in this, and uh, you're a humbled soul, a very humbled soul, sir. Yep, thank you, thank you. And with that being said, oh yeah, uh, did you want to plug anything before I let you go? My bad. Um, you know, definitely subscribe to my YouTube, Dolby Diamonds TV. Uh, that's where you see a lot of the, the video podcast interviews, but people got to remember that podcast and it's definitely audio. So when you think about Dolby Diamonds, no filter podcast, don't always run to YouTube because some of the videos will be there eventually, but it comes out on audio every Wednesday, a new episode drops every Wednesday. So Dolby Diamonds, no filter podcast is on radio.com, it's on iTunes, it's on Spotify. It's on uh, Stitcher, it's on CastBox, and just Doggy Diamonds No Filter, you know, right on your iTunes store, right on Spotify, and on the DownloadTheRadio.com app, and, and Doggy Diamonds No Filter, and that's really it. And of course, I'm on all social media, and you can ask him on the phone, he hit me up to do an interview, and, I, and it take me six months to get back to him, <laughs> to everybody. And, you know, we just had fun, convenient time, and we did it, and we, we knocked it out. We hit it, y'all heard, you know, so... Just hit me up on social media. Doggy Diamonds on everything. On Facebook, on uh, uh, Snapchat, on Instagram, on Twitter. D-O-G-G-I-E-D-I-A-M-O-N-D-S. And that's it. But, you know, just make sure you definitely subscribe to the podcast. Doggy Diamonds on Filter or iTunes or whatever you use. I'm on there. That's it. And with that being said, this another. I still can't believe this happened because, man, I'm a fan first. Just to hear this guy come on my platform and tell a little bit of his story meant the world. Uh, from the desk of low, featuring Doggy Diamonds. Yeah.